Hey, 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 film fans, what's up? Welcome into the Second Day Film Podcast. This is the official podcast of the Second Day Film Club. I'm your host, Brandon Champion, joined by the movie maestro, Mike Nichols, on Wednesday, February 21st, 2024. Hope everyone is doing well out there, enjoying the film, the movies that seem to come out constantly. And Mike, I feel like I'm in like esteemed territory, esteemed company now. Now that you are uh, an official crew member in the filmmaking world uh, out there, I, I, saw you, I saw you doing work out there in the field. Um, so you are now a creator of movies uh congratulations when is the directorial debut coming out uh i i didn't direct anything first off i just have to clarify uh although there is a great you director a mike you nichols held a, you held a boom mike <laughs> <laughs> i'm a different mike nichols director no um uh no no no. so this was just uh he's just referring to a local uh small very very small uh film project i did with a buddy uh guy guy i met in the improv scene here and he just um he he just needed bodies so i was like yeah i can help out for a, a saturday shot the whole thing in one day very small little you know short film uh i don't know where it will ever exist or what's happening with it uh it was just a fun chance to get to be part of the behind the scenes and, and help out uh you know someone i just met uh nice guy uh, <laughs> But yeah, I, I was villain number two in the movie, and I was the guy who does like the, the clapper, um, and I helped out with props as well. Uh, I right. threw a fake, I, th- I made a fake body d- dummy, and then I threw it down the stairs for its death fall <laughs> shot. So I was very, very important. <laughs> well, way to spoil the surprise that the uh, actual Mike Nichols, as in like what director of The Graduate, is not on this podcast, uh, unfortunately. No. So uh... sorry. <laughs> I mean, he, the man has been dead for like what ten years at this point, or something. Yeah, 2014. Yeah. I just looked it up. <laughs> yeah, rest so, in peace. Rest yeah, in peace. Hey. Mike Nichols, the that Mike Nichols, let's just say he's like a he's a spirit animal for the second well, day. Well, okay, this is a true story because when he died, like I I really love Mike Nichols. He, he's an amazing director. He was also like an improv legend. Like the guy basically has lived the life I've wanted to live, um, and did it all. And then and then he then he passed away. And and I remember like when he died, like it was trending on like uh twitter at the time uh and people were like messaging because it was like hashtag mike nichols death and like everyone knew about it and someone reached out to me like they were like hey i saw you were dead on twitter please just respond to this so i know you're alive (laughs) and uh, this is true i was in the cm life office when this happened and i was just like uh yes i am not in the 80 year old director of the oscar winning film the graduate no um but yeah so a lot of people sent it to me just because they thought it was kind of ironic, like, whoa, this guy is your name. But there was there was one person who was like, oh, my gosh, did you die? It's true. This is a true <laughs> as story. It, as if your name would be trending on Twitter. Uh, yeah, <laughs> as if anyone would give a crap if I died. <laughs> whoa, whoa, hey, I'm not saying that. I would care, Mike. I would be devastated. So uh, oh, who, thanks, who would I, buddy. Yeah, who would I do the podcast with? You know, it's so. true. <laughs> Yeah, that's good. That's a good point. Yeah, my death would really, my death would really have an impact on the podcast world. <laughs> we just have to listen to you alone. <laughs> Ooh, yikes. nobody wants that. Uh, yeah, I bet someday when I die, though, someone is going to listen to this and be like, "Oh gosh," like they're joking about it now, but. You know, we did talk about that one time about how, you know, recording podcasts and being, you know, the fact that we're just even recording this and reviewing films and talking about this stuff. It's like, you know, as long as my uh, the cloud is still up, you know, hey, 
we'll still be here in a way. Yeah. You know, like I, I, I did think about that. You know, like my daughter someday could maybe listen to my review of this movie that came out 40 years ago. And there's her dad talking about it. You know, hopefully I'm still here. But like, you know, like in some the unfortunate event that I wouldn't, you know, there is something to be said for us kind of documenting these films and getting our thoughts out there. I've thought about like if if my you know my dad is obviously going to die someday but like if he ever dies before me am I going to want to go back and listen to all of his sermons which are which are online you know like there's like sermon audio is like a sermon record file of like pastors in America and like all my dad's sermons are there it's like am I going to go back and listen to everything like just to hear his voice again like it is it is weird how our voices are now here as long as there's you know internet access and websites and servers and stuff, you know, our, our sound, the sound of us is still here. It's very, what are we doing? This is a movie podcast. We're just like gabbing on. Well, about, no. like, well but Mike, I mean, and... no, but Mike, I mean, that, that is something that can be said about film and about movies is that like, they are timeless. I mean, they're, they're iconic. You know, when Hagrid died, when uh, Robbie Coltrane died, he said, I won't be here, but Hagrid but... will be. And that's, that's true. Like, that's why we love movies because they, they are like a, a flashpoint capture of a certain period in time. They, mm-hmm. you know, that's why actors are iconic, and that's why we still talk about, you know, like Audrey Hepburn and Charlie Chaplin and, and name whoever you want, Jimmy Stewart. Like these people, the movies, they they live on through film, and so that's why I kind of feel like it's somewhat of a relevant conversation. Tom Hanks was in an interview for I think it was inside the Actor Studio with James Lipton, and he was uh, being asked about doing um, Philadelphia. And they had used people who really had HIV and AIDS, like, in the film. And, uh, like, I think he was asking Tom about, like, do you, of those actors, I think there was, like, 100 or something. Um, and he was like, do you know how many, or do you keep in touch? Like, do you know how many of them are still alive? And, like, Tom was like, yeah, I think there's only a handful left. And, it, like, it was a really small number of, like, of the, of the large amount they had used in the film, there was, like, only a handful of them who were alive and the whole audience you could say, oh and he was like well you must have known some of them very well and tom's like yeah like you know there was there was a guy he made noodles and you know he was in this scene and you know he passed away and and tom hanks got very emotional and he was like but when i turn on the movie he's still there and he's like and i'm watching the noodle guy and he's right there on screen and then you know tom hanks just says they last forever you know these movies and uh yeah the noodle guy will always be there in that movie and i guess we'll always be here on these <laughs> podcasts i don't know and there we go we just compare uh, ourselves to the noodle guy in philadelphia and yeah great robbie coltrane so there we go yeah uh that that was kind of a tangent <laughs> but i like that that was a good organic conversation i'm the, good the with point it. is you know it's good to, it's good to it's good to record things whether it's on screen or on camera or record it by writing it down like it's good to record life that's that's like the one kind of way we all stay we all stay around forever. Touche. Um, cheers to that. Here we are. We're not, believe it or not, we're not here to talk about death or the lasting impact of film, although those are clearly two things that we're very passionate about. No, we're, we're here, here to talk, talk about, about something really pleasant. The Academy Awards system. <laughs> the oh, 96th God. Academy Awards are coming Jesus, up. They're on March us. 10th in Hollywood. Mike, famously not uh, a fan of 
the Academy Awards themselves, but we are a fan of the movies that are being honored. So uh, what we're going to do on this episode is kind of run down some of the nominees in the main categories and kind of just talk about some of the films we haven't had a chance to get to over the course of the year. Obviously, some of them we have reviewed on previous podcasts, and if that's the case, we will just kind of refer you to those podcasts because a lot of these we've talked about at length, you know, 20, 25 minutes like we usually do. The second day film podcast treatment, as I like to say, Um, but maybe a little more rapid fire style here for some of them. We're going to go through a few of them. Mike and I have been trying to catch up on all these before the ceremony on March 10th. Um, So yeah, that's just kind of how this episode is going to go. It's been a little bit since we've talked to you. Appreciate everyone for listening. So Mike, I guess we'll just start kind of in the best picture category here. 10 films uh, nominated as, as has been the case, like in recent years when they kind of have expanded the amount of films nominated. Some of these we've already talked about Maestro with Bradley Cooper. We reviewed on the last podcast, the same thing with the holdovers. Um, although Mike has not seen that, so I'll probably get his thoughts on that. Uh, I've seen the holdovers. Yeah. No, I know. I'm saying you didn't get to review it. Uh, it was just me. So uh, we will touch on that one. But like Oppenheimer, Barbie, uh, we both reviewed those. So we'll probably won't hear a whole lot about those. They, even though they, they, they did Greta and Margot dirty, not nominating them. That's all I'll say on it. Yes, Mike has strong feelings about that. It is what yeah. it is. Uh, yeah, they did but we reviewed both of those films at length uh, on episode, mm-hmm. what was it? Episode 85 in uh, the middle of August. So if you want to check those out, go back and do that. Uh, I think we start maybe here with a different film that we talked about here, Mike. Past Lives is a film that both of us have seen. Uh, it's nominated as a romantic drama film. It's directed by Celine Song, and it stars Greta Lee uh tell you and john mcgarrow it follows two follows two childhood friends over the course of 24 years while they contemplate the nature of their relationship as they grow apart living different lives uh kind of a sleeper hit i would say it was nominated for best picture best original screenplay um and mike this is a film that i i watched a while back i think you've watched it more recently so i guess i'll toss it to you but uh i was a little bit surprised by how much i actually enjoyed watching this movie yeah, uh, past lives. Um, I, I just recently watched this one. Uh, also, if you ever are trying to find a movie and you can't get it on like a natural streamer like Amazon Prime or uh, HBO, excuse me, Max, uh, check out Hoopla. It's like the, the library system also has stuff online. Uh, as this is a true story, so Hoopla is like a library app. I, I use it, and that's actually where I watched past lives. And I told Champ, I was like, yeah, it's on Hoopla. And you were like, oh, God, one more streaming site that we have to. I was like, no, no, it's the free library app, man. That was one of my favorite. Uh, I laughed so hard. Uh, That was funny. But, yeah, Past Lives, really good. Um, It is a movie um, that's mostly uh, in subtitles. Um, It is about a um, a, a love story uh, or really almost a movie about love. Um, about these two kids from uh, South Korea, and uh, they're 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 madly like young sweethearts as children, and then she moves away to the U.S. They catch up on Facebook, and like there's this romance rekindled, but that you know it just doesn't work out. And then time passes; she's eventually married, and they reconnect again when she's married. Um, it is a very, very powerful film about uh, love and just the emotional ties that you have, not just to the the people of your lives, but like the past. Um, there's a lot of themes about immigration here, about um, 
you know, holding on to not just the memories of someone, but the, but the idea of, of like love and like who, who someone could be in your idea of love. Uh, there's a lot in here also about, um, you know, re the idea of reincarnation. Uh, are people connected throughout time to each other? Uh, just really, really deep themes in this film. And it's done so simply and beautifully. Uh, there's not a lot of talking, but all the dialogue is really, like, well-written, solid, like, writing that develops the characters, develops the moment, develops, like, the conflict, It's uh, and, and also the connection. Uh, it's really, really well done. Amazing acting from uh, Greta Lee, and uh, I'm sorry if I messed up your main, name, man, uh, T-U, or um, and also John uh, Magaro as, as the husband, who is like, uh, yeah, put in a kind of an awkward position, but uh, handles everything very beautifully. Um, yeah, this was, I feel like we don't get to see a lot of really nice romantic films become popular, but but this was one that deserved to be. It's it's a good, simple story, really well acted, really well shot too. Um, I like how realistic everything feels, um, especially with the way people are communicating through social media, just like you and I are now, we're on Zoom. Uh, as we record this and uh yeah i just i love this movie i have a lot, a lot of respect for past lives highly recommend it i give it an a, an a minus or no i give it an a i give it an a i mean i mean on its surface like it could just be like the movie has themes like that are pretty cliche like right like picking mr right or like the guy who's mm -hmm. fighting to win the love of the girl like those are obviously very played out themes that we've seen in rom-coms throughout the years but yeah. this movie like is so it's so modest it's so like these people are so ordinary, you know, it's kind of it's very relatable in its intimacy and kind of just like how humans interact and how humans kind of like uh, feel connected to each other for unknown reasons. You know, it's like you, you meet people who come in and out of your life and you randomly will have connections with people. Right. Like, I mean, even you and me, like we, we met a lot of people in college, but for some reason, you know, years later, I'm like, I'm going to hit you up to do a podcast because we had some sort of connection in a past life, so to speak. You know, it's kind of like. It's like how people connect to each other. These people are don't ultimately end up together, but they still find a way to have love and compassion and care about each other. And I just think that that's like a, a really cool way to do it because uh, Celine song, which I think she based some of this on her life, but the movie doesn't really have a lot of pop to it. Right. There's no like visual no. anything to it. It's just kind of like characters living in their homes, living in their lives, hanging out in bars, hanging out in, in the city, um, you know, there's no like, look at me details. It's all just like very normal past lives yeah. interacting. And because of the writing, because of the performances, the film really just kind of feels more kinetic than it actually is. Um, and, and I really enjoyed watching it. And just the idea that like, you know, people are destined to be with each other or destined to be around each other because of maybe, you know, some previous life that they allude to in the movie, you know, nobody, they don't actually know this or think that this is the case, but they kind of just think that because they're like in a past life, we probably did end up together. You know, they can at least like come to terms like, yeah, it didn't work out on this one, but we definitely were probably were meant to be at some point in time. And it just isn't this point in time. And I think that that's yeah. a, that's a powerful message because people come in and out of your life. And, and sometimes, you know, I think if you're, people like us you think maybe like oh should i have done that differently you know whether it's ex-girlfriends whether it's friends that you grew apart from you know you think about it and you're like if i would have done this this and this differently or if i would have made this decision differently things might have turned out differently and i think that's a yeah. very relatable 
way of thinking. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I really enjoyed the film. I gave it an eight out of 10 as well. So um, if you can seek it out and you said there's a free way to watch it, Mike, I mean, I would definitely do it. So. It's on Hoopla. Go check it out. Uh, yeah. yeah. I have to also just say like one of the best acting moments I've seen in a long time was at the end of the movie when he's going to get in the Uber and leave and they just stand there and their body language, the look like the, the, it's just so well done of that final where they're looking at each other right before he goes. And I also love that they, that they, they control themselves like that they hold off. Um, Cause you can tell there's this strong longing for each other. But, like, she respects her marriage, and, and he also respects her marriage. And, like, uh, yeah, like, that was such a powerful moment that you could almost, like, feel this, like, magnetic draw between them. Um, and then, yeah, she gets back to her husband, and she just cried. And he's understanding. I like that the husband was cool about everything. Like, he was very understanding. He wasn't, like, yeah, he maybe you could see that he felt a little threatened. He felt insecure. But he also was supportive and gave them the trust they needed and also understood them enough to let them experience this tough thing they're they're trying to figure out with each other. Like, I really respected how they portrayed the husband as being an understanding person to it uh, and not like a like like he was even saying like. Oh, so then your love story. I'd be like the the white American husband who's the villain and trying to keep you apart. Like, you know, very self-aware they, of that way. Yeah, and they they didn't do that with him, and they could have. And they yeah. and they chose not to, which which actually made it even more complicated and more nuanced, which was such a beautiful way to tell the story. Um yeah, mad respect to uh uh Celine's song. Uh, I mean, this this is her feature directorial debut. And she wrote this thing. Uh, she produced it, or well, maybe she didn't produce it, but she wrote it and she directed it. So mad props uh, to her. Um, great job. <laughs> uh, another director in his feature directorial debut is Cord Jefferson, who directed American Fiction, which is a comedy oh, drama yeah. film. Uh, it's it, it follows a frustrated novelist and professor who writes an outlandish satire of stereotypical black books only for it to be mistaken by the liberal elite for serious literature and published to both high sales and critical praise. Uh, It stars (laughs) an incredible Jeffrey Wright in kind of like the role. I think that's going to like, just, I mean, we know Jeffrey Wright from, you know, Westworld and uh, you know, lots of stuff, but like this one, I think is the one that's really going to like shine a light on him. Uh, Tracy Ellis Ross, Issa Rae, Sterling K Brown, John Ortiz, Erica Alexander, Leslie Ugams, Adam Brody, and Keith David also star in this film. Uh, Mike, I don't think you've had the chance to see American Fiction yet, but I wanted no, to. I really want to, though. I wanted to see this movie so bad that I ended up just being like, I saw you could buy it on Amazon for 20 bucks. I'm like, I've heard enough. I don't want to go to the theater right now. I'm just going to freaking rent this thing. And now I guess I own it. Um, and, and I'm glad I did, man. This is like such a smart movie. Uh, it's carried definitely by Jeffrey Wright, but the script is incredible. Um, it's just so clever in the way that it sort of comments on uh, the, the sort of, I guess, black experience that black creators have where they kind of feel like they're sort of pigeonholed into certain things and only being able to write about certain things or only be, being able to expound on certain things. Um, you know, I'm not black, so I, I, I don't think I can like fully relate to it, but I can understand what they're doing because 
Jeffrey Wright is kind of like this frustrated guy. Um, he's like almost too smart for his own good in a lot of ways. And <laughs> he just brings so much depth to this character. I'm just laughing because I'm thinking about the way that he approaches things, but he just brings so much depth to this character that is clearly frustrated. Um, he's, he's doesn't really know how to express himself because he's so cynical and he, he like gets hammered one night and he writes this book that's supposed to be like a joke. Um, and then, and then the commentary that comes out is that, as it says, the liberal elite just love this thing. And I, I love the idea of, of the sort of double standards or sort of the, the idea that the liberal elite is, is kind of being like made fun of. Mike, because like <laughs> they, because in in the modern world, like some of the things that people get worked up about, or some of the things that people get uncomfortable about, or the things that they say, or the pandering in a lot of cases, it almost seems like sometimes people are just saying things because they feel like they have to say it, whether than they actually believe it. Um, it's nice to see a film kind of like put the microscope on this sort of like idea that you're like on the side of the 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 oppressed or whatever, but you don't do that in your actions. Um, mm -hmm. There's a lot of that in here and it's just carried by Jeffrey Wright. And I just, I love everything about it. There's like this fun sort of jazzy score that's going on in the background that kind of like contributes to sort of some of the chaos that's going on at times, but it definitely gives it sort of like this easy watchability to it because it, it it's just like this fun, like bright film that has this sort of like, I don't know how to describe it. It's kind of like a scat jazz, but it's playing in a lot of the film. And I believe that the score was nominated. I'm trying to look it up here. Uh, yes, it was. Um, so like it, it was just awesome. His interactions with Sterling K. Brown, who plays his brother and his brother's kind of like this jaded surgeon who's like closeted and doesn't know how to approach the world. So he kind of is going through his own struggles, but in a different way. And they're all, they're both having to deal with a death in the family and they're kind of dealing with it in their different ways. And it's just a really smart film about kind of the state of how things are in America. And the idea that it's like American fiction, because he's kind of like basically like making up like this. He doesn't put his real name on this story that he writes the, the satirical one. It's like a fake name where he's like acting like he's a gangster and he's not, he's like a super educated professor. Um, so that's kind of the fiction aspect of it, but it just leads to a lot of humor. Um, and it's just a really, it's a unique original film that is timely to our current state as Americans. And I'm sure as, as a black person, um, especially if you're a black creator, I'm sure you'd be able to relate to this a lot. And I just think it's, it's super smart. It's super witty. It's sharp. And I think that's why it's been so well received. So uh, American fiction, I would say one of my favorite movies of the year. What did I have it in my rankings? I've got it at an 8.5. It's at number six, my top 20 uh, top films of 2023 would highly recommend, but I know this is one you've wanted to see for a long time. Yeah, yeah, I really do want to see it. Uh, especially Cord Jefferson, like he has a journalism background too. Um, so yeah, and I, I mean, I love Jeffrey Wright, uh, and and I like things about writers, you know. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing that one eventually. Uh, one I did get to see that's nominated for Best Picture uh, is Killers of the Flower Moon. It's finally out now on Apple TV, so I can watch it. Uh, yeah, I, I, you've already reviewed this, but uh, I'll just say it's a great movie. Um, I think it's one of my favorite uh, movies from Martin Scorsese. Like it is, like, it's like three hours long, and you don't feel it. Like you are glued to the screen the whole time. Uh, it's you know an amazing story. I'm really glad he told this story 
um, about what happened to the Osage and this whole like murder with the following the oil and the way he focused on their relationship between um, DiCaprio's character and Lily Gladstone's character. Uh, and the whole time you're feeling so stressed out of like, is he going to kill her? Is he going to do something to her? Like you care about her so much. And partly that is also just her acting. I mean, she is an incredible actress, especially this role as Molly Burkhart. Like she is in, you know, scenes with De Niro and DiCaprio and she is like holding her own in these scenes. And she is like, just, she's like in some ways the most interesting person in the scene. And she does so little too. Like she is just an awesome uh, talent. And I don't know. I I'm mad that Margot Robbie didn't get nominated for best actress, but uh, for Barbie, but uh, I, I would be fine if Lily Gladstone got it because she was just absolutely phenomenal. Uh, Kills of the Flower Moon is an excellent movie, especially the ending where Marty himself comes out. Uh, the way they handled that, where they turned it into, I think there was, there was like a Jimmy Stewart made that, a Jimmy Stewart movie about um, uh, Jesse Plemons' character. I forget his name. Uh, maybe he was the FBI agent. Um, uh, Thomas Bruce White Sr. I think Jimmy Stewart played him in a movie. Like called the FBI story, yeah. She and it like followed all these different like cases that this guy had, and like the Osage case is just one of them. But yeah, with the way Marty came out and you know reads the truth about everything at the end, um, just really powerful. Um, that was so sweet. I love that Marty did that. Yeah, go check out this movie. It's also an A. Killers of the Flower Moon. Yep. Um, and I <clears throat> I reviewed that at a, a little bit longer length, episode 87, just a couple ones ago in, in December. Yeah. Uh, the Holdovers is another one nominated for Best Picture. I reviewed that on the last pod, but Mike did not have a chance to weigh on it. Wait, yeah. yeah but uh, get, just real quick, some, some thoughts on The Holdovers. I know you liked it. Yeah, I love that it has that, like, you know, very realistic but zany feel where, you you know, you're at the school with these kids, the kids stuck with their grumpy professor, you know. Uh, and yet you feel for them and you feel for him. Uh, Paul Giamatti was excellent. Also, mad props to this, uh, you know, young guy, Angus Tully. Uh, Dominic Sessa, his first movie. Uh, and he was just, he, you know, he was he was fantastic in it. Um, I loved the relationship with the characters. It was very, very well done. Um, and yeah, this movie just had a very raw, stripped down feel to it. Um, but it, it made it just feel so authentic, like you were there experiencing it with these people. Um, yeah, great movie, Holdovers. Again, that's another uh, A minus, I'd say. Really, really good movie. A film I just went and saw last night that's also nominated for Best Picture, I believe 11, 11 Academy Award nominations, is Poor Things. Uh, it is directed by Yorgos Lanthimos, who is one of the most unique sort of quirky directors out there. I mean, uh, maybe you've seen some of his films, the lobster um, mm -hmm. killing of a sacred deer, the favorite uh, it, it also starring Emma stone. Um, so you, if you've seen those movies, you kind of know what you're getting into with this one. I think Mike, I, I like this movie more than any of the other ones I've seen by him. Um, it's, it's based on the 1992 novel by Alistair gray. The plot follows Bella Baxter, a young woman in Victorian London who comes to life through a brain transplant and embarks on an odyssey of self-discovery. Uh, this film stars Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, Willem Dafoe, Rami Youssef, Christopher Abbott, and Jared Carmichael. The setting of this is wholly unique, Mike. It is, it is incredible. It's like a, it's like a fairy tale steampunk Victorian England. 
It's it is it has a very unique look to it. The film starts in black and white when she is like originally uh, created by this mad scientist played by Willem Dafoe. The film's in like a very sketchy old school looking black and white. Um, and then it ultimately transforms into just vivid colors once once Bella kind of sets out on her actual journey throughout Europe. And then when she returns to uh, London at the end of the film, London is kind of like in vivid color. And I think that that's kind of used to represent sort of Bella's psyche because she's like this lady who had this prior life. She comes back to life as this completely different person with a, basically the brain of like a child. So I think the the color is kind of tried to use like sort of her awareness level. So like early on, she has like no awareness. She doesn't really know what's going on. She's basically like a four-year-old child. So I think the not having color kind of represents that. Like she's kind of in the dark. She doesn't know what's going on. And then by the time she comes back to London at the end of the film, she's kind of been enlightened. She's had all these experience. So now she's seeing the world for what it is in full color because now she's like a fully fledged person. Uh, Emma Stone's performance in this is it's one of a kind. I mean, she is it's weird uh, it's it's odd it's it's unique it's it's because she's like this person that doesn't know anything and she slowly learns through her experience but she says just like blunt things uh, she doesn't know how to behave in polite society because she you know has no experience in that way so she's just like calling things out it's like it would be like Mike if you could go to a party and you could just throw all the common decency out the window if you could throw all the <laughs> out the window and you could just assess every situation from a blunt sort of uh, empirical standpoint because she's been trained to think like a scientist, not like a human being. So she thinks about everything just like on uh, kind of like Spock on, on the Star Trek, the original series. That's kind of how she's approaching everything. But it leads to some hilarious stuff, particularly when she's kind of on this voyage with uh, with Mark Ruffalo's character, who is Mark Ruffalo also at the top of his game as this sort of guy who's not wholly bad but not really a good guy and he's kind of taking advantage of her ignorance in a certain way um but he kind of ends up ruined and ultimately does become a villain but his performance is amazing uh the, the set design the production design the cinematography the costumes all incredible i can see why i got nominated in all those categories it, it, it's just such a vivid awesome film that is so unique it's like a it's like a dystopian fairy tale in a way it's uh it's a fantasy film but it's 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 just so it's it's entertaining it's it's fun to watch it's vividly brought to life it's unlike something you've seen and um you know i've heard people criticize that sort of some of the feminist or the socialist themes that are supposed to be like because the film ultimately is about like emma stone realizing that she has a vagina and can experience sexual pleasure. And that's kind of what leads to this odyssey uh, of self-discovery is that she learns that she can be pleasured. And so there are some kind of awkward scenes. I've heard stories of people walking out of the, the theater. I think that's just a case of not understanding what movie they're actually going to see. Like if you've <laughs> the most movies, you should know what's coming. Um, so there's, it, there's what? some awkward, there's some awkward this stuff. This isn't Barbie. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think they're like, I think you got some people that's like, Oh, it's Emma Stone. I'm going to go see her new movie. Not really kind of knowing what they're walking into. Yeah. Um, you can so, see all of Emma Stone. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> yes, you can, but it's not done in like a, it's just done in like, sort of like, a, um, it's not like a sexual way. It's not like, even though she's having sex, it's like, she just is so innocent and doesn't really know what she's doing by just flopping her body out there that you don't, it doesn't, it's not really portrayed in a sexual way. It's portrayed in like a, I don't know, like a, almost like somebody learning about puberty. 
you know, like it's, it's, it's not like sexual. It's kind of just there. So mm. it's uh it's a bold film. It's unique. It doesn't hold anything back. Um, but I ultimately found it to be incredibly enjoying in large part because of the performances and because of just the set design and the, the kind of world that Yorgos created. Um, it's just wholly unique. And these are the kind of films that I just hope never go away, Mike. These are the kind of films that we need. These unique original films and filmmakers like Yorgos. Uh, it's definitely my favorite one that he's made. And I really like the, the favorite a lot, too. But the way he sort of seamlessly folds in his humor um, is, is very skillful. Um, I gave it an 8.5 out of 10 would highly, mm -hmm. highly recommend checking out poor things. Um, despite some of the criticisms, I would say that some people say the, the, the femininity, the, uh, you know, the feminism stuff is kind of played down in the fact that she's kind of still controlled by men. But I don't think that's kind of what this film was really trying to make a statement about, uh, as opposed to something like Barbie, which obviously is kind of like a feminist movie. So mm. I found it to be amazing. So I, I would highly, highly recommend poor things, but I can fully admit that I don't think it's going to be for everyone. So for best picture, then you've got American fiction, anatomy of a fall, Barbie holdovers, killers of the flower moon, Maestro, Oppenheimer, Past Lives, Poor Things, and The Zone of Interest. And I know we haven't both seen all of them, but who do you think is going to win and who do you want to win? I would give it to Oppenheimer on both cases. Yeah. I just think it was such a spectacle. I think it was so well done. Um, that's that's That would be my pick, I think. Same. Um, you know, I, I love the holdovers. Um, I don't think it's going to win Best Picture. Uh, I, I think Poor Things will get some interest um so uh, but yeah i mean i i think it's gonna be i think it's gonna be oppenheimer i really do yeah uh, i think it, i think it'll be oppenheimer and i would be fine with that it was definitely i think the best movie i saw this year although i really would like to see zone of interest as well, well i want to see american fiction too uh and i do want to see uh poor things but i really really want to see zone of interest too i've heard amazing things about that movie same i have neither of us have seen the zone of interest so we'll have to get through that on a later pod the one other one that you mentioned there anatomy of a fall i did see uh, it, it basically, uh, it stars Sandra Huller, who's amazing. She's a writer trying to prove her innocence, uh, in her husband's death. It basically comes down to, I mean, it's mostly in French, so I don't think that helped. Not that I'm opposed to foreign films. I mean, Parasite's one of you and me's favorite movies of the decade. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. but like this, I did find Anatomy of a Fall a little bit boring. I, I was a little bit lower on it than I didn't really get like, I mean, it was well acted. It was well written. A lot of it is just a procedural procedural in a courtroom where people are kind of just trying to figure out what happened and how this guy died. And it has to do with sort of family drama and kind of, you know, uh, how people kind of have this illusion of being happy when really they might not be. And uh, a lot of it focuses on the relationship with her kid who kind of may or may not have witnessed what happened. So you're kind of like, unraveling the mystery of what happened to this guy's death in this fall in the French Alps. And probably 65, 70% of the film takes place in a courtroom where it's just kind of like a procedural style. It's well acted. It's well written. I just, I didn't really see how it rose to the level of best picture nominee. Um, and it, it was a lot lower. I mean, I gave it a six out of 10. It wasn't something that was like a bad film, but I just didn't really find it that engaging. Maybe it had to do with the language barrier. Maybe I just didn't totally relate to it, but I didn't really see how it, you know, was like, it was smart and well-made and well-written, but I just didn't see it operating at a level where it was best picture. So that's just kind of my take on anatomy of a fall, which yeah. I know you haven't seen. So, um, no. it's just kind of how it is, but 
that's that's the best picture nominees. I mean, I think it's a good category overall this year. A lot of a lot of solid films. Um, and uh, you know, I think we've we've touched on most of them there. So, um, and uh, just note just to note, best pic- best director. You have Justine Triet for Anatomy of a Fall, Martin Scorsese for Killers of the Flower Moon, Christopher Nolan for Oppenheimer, Yorgos for Poor Things, and Jonathan Glazer for Zone of Interest. But and not she- Greta Gerwig, apparently, because this is stupid. Sorry. Go ahead. We know how you feel on that, Mike. We know how. You I, feel just that, that she wasn't even nominated. You know, like they can't, they've got like a million Best Picture nominees. They can't give her a bet. Like what, what she did with that film, like the perf the the pitch perfect tone she had to set with it, like and just I just I just cannot believe she was not nominated. I don't. I still think Christopher Nolan should win, but I just can't believe she wasn't nominated. This is these awards are stupid. Whatever. But uh, good luck, Christopher Nolan. I think he deserves to win. Uh, so you do yeah. got to take someone out, though. Like, I mean, I would say Marty okay, deserved fine. it. I would say Yorgos deserved it. I haven't seen take Jonah take Beatrice. out the anatomy of anatomy of a fall. You didn't like that movie. Take that person out. Sorry, right. just that's another it. that's another female filmmaker, and people would have yelled about that too. So you know, it's it right. is it's it's a uh, it is what it is. Uh, best actor Bradley Cooper in Maestro. I think he's going to win. Uh, Coleman Domingo and Rustin. I have not seen that. Paul Giamatti in the Holdovers. We've talked about loving that performance Cillian Murphy and Oppenheimer and Jeffrey Wright in American Fiction I just think Bradley Cooper was the most like transformative guy I guess uh throughout the performance I just I think he's probably gonna get it but I, I would be fine with Jeffrey Wright winning as well or uh, Cillian Murphy I think it'll be Cillian Murphy for Oppenheimer I, he was <laughs> just like he was he was amazing in that movie I I would like to see Jeffrey Wright in American Fiction though Bradley Cooper was great in Maestro but like I don't know I, I, I'm not still thinking about Leonard Bernstein. And also, <laughs> there was the nose. That, uh, <laughs> no, I, honestly, I didn't care about the nose. Uh, yeah, I, I think it'll be Killian Murphy. But Bradley Cooper was was fine. And I he did have the tough job of also having to direct it, too. But, uh, yeah. We just yeah, reviewed Maestro him. on the last pod. So if you want to hear more about that, you can go check that out. Best Actress, you have Lily Gladstone in Killers of the Flower Moon, who Mike just mentioned. Sandra Huller in Anatomy of a Fall, who I just mentioned. Carrie Mulligan in Maestro, also very fine performance. And Emma Stone in Poor Things, I just talked about how much I enjoyed that. Film we haven't talked about yet that I know we both just watched is Annette Benning in Nyad. Yeah. Uh, as the yes. swimmer who is uh, trying to, well, I'll just run it down here. It's, it's a sport drama about Diana Nyad's multiple attempts in the early 2010s to swim the Straits of Florida. The film also includes flashbacks of her early life. It is directed by Elizabeth Chai Visarhali uh, and Jimmy Chin. <laughs> another, they're documentary filmmakers, and this is another narrative film directorial debut. So a lot of debuts this year, Matt, uh, Mike, for um, you know filmmakers that are very well received, which is a good sign for the future of the business. But it stars Annette Benning as Nyad with Jodie Foster and Reese Efrens. Uh, they're really the, the main three guys there. Uh, Foster and Annette Benning both nominated. I just got done watching this, Mike, so I'll, I'll kind of save my thoughts. But uh, I really like that movie. Yeah, I really liked Nyad. Uh, I didn't know much about this lady or, or what she accomplished or did. I, I definitely didn't know it took her that many tries. Uh, that was incredible. Uh, but yeah, this movie, it's um, it's a nice, just like good simple like plot like character a wants to do like this thing and that's all the movie is it's just 
Nyad wants to swim across from Cuba to Florida. That's it. That's all you like. That's all you need to know. That's all like. That's the only character like desire. And this is what the character is working toward. This is what everything in the movie is about. And that works just so well. It's just like a nice, simple bread and butter plot. And it just explores that. Um, and it, it's like, okay, well, how do you do it? Like, what would you need? How does it like, and each time they try, there's like a new thing they have to try differently, like with the sharks or there's like the, the little, uh, uh, the little jellyfish that stinger, like each time there's a new challenge. Um, you know, there's the fact that she's like 60 years old. That's also very challenging on her body. But, uh, and, and there's also like her own kind of, uh, demons a little bit, you know, there's, there's some abuse that she experienced that like still haunts her. And there's also just her own personality sometimes, like the fact that she can be just stubborn and not very nice about the way she wants and asks for support. Um, but she's got a great friend in Jodie Foster as Bonnie Stoll. And man, I, I just finished the latest season of True Detective, uh, Night Country with with Jodie Foster in it. I wasn't a huge fan of that season, but I love Jodie Foster in it, and I love Jodie Foster in this too. I th- these two th- like watching a lot of Jodie Foster this month just really really just like remind me of how good Jodie Foster is as a performer. Um, but yeah, this is a nice, simple story. It's very watchable, keeps you interested. It's well shot, really well acted too. Like, you know, they're, you can tell they're in the water doing this. They're out on like, you know, whether, I don't know where they shot it, but uh, it's like, you don't, you don't feel like you're just watching a bunch of green screen. Uh, you know, you feel like you're actually watching people out swimming in the ocean or the sea or wherever. Um, but yeah, like really good story, very interesting, very inspiring, and it has enough little lighthearted moments to just like have some humanity. Um only thing I was a little disappointed about was finding out later that her and spoiler, but like she does it, but then they there was controversy over like her swim. Like Guinness, Guinness pulled it, saying that like there was um, something where they they were like, "I'm sorry, but she like they didn't record certain hours that she was supposed to be in the water." Yeah, it's it's a very um, meticulous it's, process. It's weird, here, like, but she did but, it. But though. that doesn't it's, have that doesn't have anything to do with the movie. So like, yeah, okay. I know. I was a little disappointed reading that afterwards, but uh, yeah, the movie itself is is great. Uh, yeah. And 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 good job to Diana and I had like for what she accomplished. Like really, really impressive. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. I think the movie is completely like this could easily have just been like a paint by numbers, you know, inspiring sports drama with riddled with cliches. But I think it's it's Jodie Foster. It's Annette Benning, obviously both actresses who are wildly accomplished, but both in their 60s. And I think mm-hmm. because it's it's kind of like it's their friendship, right? It's their when those two are on screen together and they're confronting sort of the dark corners of their friendship, whether it be uh, Nyad's abuse at the hand of her former swim teacher or kind of Jodie Foster's character feeling like it's a one-sided friendship where her needs are never put first or it's always her doing stuff for her or her bending over backwards for her. Um, I think when those two are confronting sort of the, the difficult parts of their relationship, which obviously has a lot of love to it. I think that's where the film shines because the two actresses are absolutely at the top of their game. I agree with that. You know, Jodie Foster, I'm also watching night country. I still have to watch the finale, but uh, she's a very different character in this than she is in night country. Obviously. Yes. (laughs) But it was nice. It was nice seeing like how Jodie Foster can be when she's not playing like this, you know, pissed off, pissed off at the world, 
you know, kind of like floozy chick who's sleeping with everyone yeah. and is angry at everyone. And it's nice seeing her actually be able to like emote and have some feelings and have some emotions because she's so much more like light in this movie, uh, you know, and it's, it's, it's just nice to see her be able to like, it really reminds you that it's like, okay, yeah, she actually is like a really good actress because she's completely different in this movie than she is in night country. To, so to kind of be able to compare the two yeah. things is, is interesting, but the chemistry between the two is absolutely on point. Every scene that they're in with each other, I was absolutely locked in. There's so much chemistry there. I think it's a movie, you know, featuring two actresses in their sixties. It's about aging gracefully and not giving up on your dreams and, and, you know, proving to yourself that you can still do things. And it's like, you can tell that Jodie Foster and Annette Benning are almost like the real life people are telling themselves that same thing in this movie, right? Yeah. Like, I still got it. I still got it in my 60s. I can still put an Oscar worthy yeah. performance to the screen and it really comes through. Uh, there's just a lot of humanity. Like, I found it so inspiring, man. I, I actually got a little teared up at the end. Like, I was. I just maybe it's because I was like sipping on a whiskey when I was watching it or something, but like I was getting emotional watching it. I don't know. It's mm. like always a sucker for like sports movies. I am, but like like Miracle makes me cry every damn time I watch it. Same thing with Remember mm. the Titans, but like oh, oh the fact that she got there and everyone's movie. cheering for her and like she just overcame all she these can barely move or talk. Like I mean, can you imagine? Being, I know like, I was in the inspired, water man. moving your body for that long. Like I can't believe she did it. Unbelievable. Yeah, Amazing. the movie ended up just being like way more inspiring than I thought it was going to be. And I was way more connected to it than I thought it was going to be. And I think that's because of the performances and because you you actually cared about these people. Uh, and I think that was awesome. You know, I, I think I guess if I had like some criticism, I did feel the abuse storyline was maybe a little bit awkward, a little bit shoehorned in there. We kind of only get brief glimpses. Of, we don't get a whole lot of kind of her life outside of training and kind of just like going after this one goal. So at times, I don't know if she feels like a fully fleshed out character that's dealing with all these kind of demons from her past. Um, it's just kind of more about like the goal at hand. And then in that sense, it's kind of more of like a straightforward sports biopic. Um, mm. And I guess I, I think they maybe there maybe is like a little bit of a deeper, juicier story that they could have dove into a little bit more. But like you said, I don't think the film was trying to like go down that road. I think it was kind of trying to be more of like an easier, more enjoyable watch. So yeah. I don't blame them for putting that to the side, but I do yeah. think if I had one criticism, that would be it. But ultimately I, I really ended up enjoying this film more than I thought it was going to be. Um, and I, I was, I was pretty much inspired by it. So I gave it an eight out of 10. I have it as my ninth favorite film of the year. Yeah, I give it a B plus. Um, uh, okay, so we we we've discussed best actor. Now let's do. But now that we've discussed Nia, let's do best actress. So you've got Annette Benning, Lily Gladstone, uh, Sarah Sandra Huller, Huller Huller. Sorry, Sandra Huller. If I mispronounce your name, Carrie Mulligan and Emma Stone. I think it'll be Lily Gladstone, and I and I think she would deserve it too. I think it'll be her too. I think yeah. that I, I just think that, you know, and, and you look at, so you look good. at killers of the flower moon has the most nominations out of anything. I think as good as, as Robert De Niro and Leonardo DiCaprio are in that movie, she really is the heart of the film. Oh yeah. So, her performance um, is what stayed with me. Like, I mean, DiCaprio was great. De Niro was great, but like, I still think about her character and her performance. I, I'm not thinking about DiCaprio. Like I, he was good. He was good. He wasn't bad or anything. Just, she stays with you. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Uh, best supporting actor, you got Sterling K. Brown in American Fiction, Robert De Niro in Killers of the Flower Moon, Robert Downey Jr. in Oppenheimer, Ryan Gosling in Barbie, and Mark Ruffalo in Poor Things. I've seen all those movies, Mike. I would give it to Mark Ruffalo personally. I think he was incredible in that movie. It feels like they might give it to Gosling as Ken. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> I mean, which he was hilarious. He was hilarious. You can go back to episode uh, eighty-five. I mean, we both yeah, loved was... him in it. But uh, I, yeah, I really, I really thought Mark Ruffalo just absolutely crushed it as Duncan Wedderburn. Uh, him and Emma Stone are just magic in that movie, man. You got to watch it. So uh, uh, yeah. Well, Best okay. Supporting Actress, we got Emily Blunt in Oppenheimer, Danielle Brooks in The Color Purple, which I don't think either of us have seen that, but uh, nah, I America, that. America Ferreira in Barbie, Jodie Foster in Naya, Divine Joy Randolph in The Holdovers. She was incredible. Yeah, she, she was really, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really I really like the Best Supporting Actress category. I, 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 don't, I don't know. Uh, for, by the way, for Best Supporting Actor, I, I didn't see Mark Ruffalo in Four Things. But I know Robert Downey Jr. was just unreal and up there. And yeah, Ryan Gosling, just iconic as Ken. I, I don't know who's going to get it, but any of them can have it. They, they were good. For Best Supporting Actress, I, I think maybe either Divine from Holdovers or... or um, I mean, Emily Blunt was really good, too, in Oppenheimer. She just didn't have a lot seen, of screen time. I feel yeah, like she didn't have much I, screen time. I haven't seen Danielle Brooks in color. I haven't seen Color Purple. I love America Frere and Barbie, but like really just for that main speech. You know, I mean she was good, but that speech, but that scene, speech though. is really the speech was really more Greta Gerwig's writing than it was, you know, so I don't know. Yeah, but I loved uh, yeah, she was great in it. I'll, I'll root for Divine. I hope Divine gets it. So she was I loved her in Holdovers. She was so special in that movie. That would be my pick. Uh, I haven't seen the color purple, but uh, based on all the other four, um, she would be my pick. I, I really like Jodie Foster in Nyad too, though. But I, but I can't tell if that's just because I like Jodie Foster in it so much versus the character. The char- yeah. yeah, you know. But she was also like, yeah, everyone. Man, the sporting actresses category it was solid. It was really solid. Skipping down to best animated feature, I know. Oh uh, wait, 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 wait. Let's talk about screenplays. We're writers. Uh, all right, but like we already talked about a lot of the movies, so I'm just kind of all like, right. Fine, you know. I'll just say best original screenplay. I'd give it to Past Lives, Slain Song, and best adapted screenplay. I will give it to Barbie because that was a hell of an assignment, and they knocked the park out of it. And Greta deserves something for that movie, and Noah Baumbach. I don't want to take his contribution away, but yeah, yeah. Uh... I could go with Past Lives for original screenplay. I like that. I think I would go Poor Things for Best Adapted, though. Um, just really, really enjoyed that movie. Uh, best Animated Feature. That's that's what I want to talk about here. We have Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. That's a film that we reviewed, uh, what was it, way back in July, episode 84. So if you want to hear more on that, you can go do that. Elemental uh, Pixar film that I'm going to talk about here in a sec, Mike. But I know you saw, I believe you saw, I guess, The Boy and the Heron. I did. Yeah. Hario Miyazaki's latest film. And mm-hmm. I've been, I know you went back and watched all the Miyazaki movies. I've been, it's been on my list to do that, but how does the boy and the heron compare to some of his other films? Yeah. I don't remember if I've talked about this on the pod, but like, you I haven't. Sh- okay. You, you, so you talked about going back and watching them. You haven't okay, talked about yeah. boy and the heron. Yeah. I went back and watched like all the Miyazaki movies. Cause I'd never seen them. So that was like a challenge I did for myself like last year. Um, and then the boy and the heron just came out. So I, I saw that and it was, uh, really good. Like 
Um, you know, it's definitely a Miyazaki film. It has that feel. Um, it's like a story about, uh, you know, a boy who loses his mom in uh, World War II. And uh, so then years later, him and his dad, like, they moved to a new little town, start over. Um, and then there's this heron that kind of comes in to this boy's life and he's trying to chase it through a tower and then he kind of goes in with an older lady and his his like homemade bow and uh yeah it's like kind of like a journey to try to find his mom again and to like almost maybe accept a new mom um it's it's really hard to describe the plot of the movie because it's you know it's just it all these different random kind of things happen um when he's inside this kind of magical tower experience but like uh yeah it's just it's a very explorative movie about loss and about moving on and it's very peaceful when you watch it it feels very relaxing it's beautifully animated and uh i would say it's one of my favorite miyazaki movies um and i'm glad he ended his or supposedly he's going to end his his career with it. Um, does it deserve best picture over uh, Spider-Verse? I don't know about that, but uh, I really, I really did love this movie and I think it's a, it's a great, um, it's a great a a addition to his legacy. So yeah, I'd I probably not... still give it to Spider-Verse though. Cause my God, <laughs> that was so incredible. Good. That movie. I have not seen Boy and the Heron, uh, but I did see Elemental, the latest yeah. Pixar film that came out this year. It's set in a world inhabited by anthropomorphic elements of nature. The story follows fire element Ember Lumen and water element Wade Ripple, who spend time together in the city while trying to save a convenience store owned by Ember's father, Bernie. Uh, Mike, first of all, the, the thing that sticks out to this, obviously, is the animation. Pixar has not... Whether, you know, say what you want about Disney, say what you want about maybe some Pixar films not having the oomph that they did back in the day. The animation remains impeccable. I mean, there's nobody who does it better than than Pixar when it comes to computer animation, if you ask me. And this film is vividly brought to life. It's takes place in sort of this city where all the four different kind of elements live together. Obviously, air, fire, water and earth. Um, but it's that's what it is on its surface. But when you look deeper, this is very clearly a story about immigrants. It's a story about immigration. It's a story about the melting pot. It's a story about how all these different people have to come and live together. And even though they're different, they have to live together in the same city. And there's discrimination because particularly against the fire people, who was our main character. Um, people just don't really. Uh, the other three elements are basically afraid of the fire people um, because they're fire. <laughs> and mm. if you're, if you're an earth person, you can see why you would be afraid of fire. If you're a water person, don't really understand. I mean, you know, you can see why you'd be a little afraid of water. Although I would guess the, the fire should be more afraid of the water to be honest, but uh, it's yeah. just all about, it's just all about, you know, it's very clearly a commentary and, and the director, um, who is his name here? Uh, Peter Sohn talked about, you know, his experiences in New York uh, as an immigrant being kind of the backbone for this story. And it's very, 
very obvious because what happens is Ember's parents, they move to the city. They deal with xenophobia from the other kind of element people because they're the fire people and all the fire people are kind of quarantined into their own area because they see them as as uh, dangerous. But through her relationship with Wade Ripple, who is a water element guy, uh, they kind of learn that they have a lot of the same interests they learn that they have a lot of the the same humanity i mean humanity is in quotes here because they're not human characters but they <laughs> are, are are they find a kindred spirit in each, in each other so i don't know if it's like the greatest pixar movie ever but it is a solid story with a good message that is told with incredible dazzling flair and i think what the room do, uh, the movie does better than anything is its world building there's just so much clever stuff where you know, uh, like the city is moving around and all the roads are made of water because the water people can kind of just like mold all the water. And there's like air boats where the boat will be deflated and then all the air people will get in it and the, the ship will like bulge up because all the air people are in it and then it will go mm. up. There's just a lot of funny, clever world building in this where the world of elemental is created kind of like inside out uh, yeah. in a way or Pixar, or Pixar is really good at that. Right, kind of like taking sort of an idea and then framing the entire world around of it. I think that's what mm -hmm. Pixar does better than anything. Um, and, I, you know, it's not going to be like in my top 10 Pixar movies, but it might be in my top 15. Um, and uh, I found it to be very sweet and charming. Um, there, there's a great like musical number in the middle of it. Um, it's just... It, it's quintessential Pixar, but it, and I don't know if it doesn't like challenge you as much as like a film, like maybe like up or Wally. -E. Um, but it might be like the most like straight, like rom-com love story that we've ever seen. It's basically Pixar's take on a rom-com, which is kind of interesting. Um, because you know, you don't really see rom-coms made anymore. We had so many in like the, the 2010s, like it was like every other day a rom-com was coming out, but it's kind of, fallen out of favor and this is kind of like pixar's take on a romeo and juliet rom-com and uh i thought it worked pretty well so i i would definitely recommend elemental uh gave it a seven and a half out of ten cool, cool, cool. so let's see yep go, go for it uh, I was just going to say, I mean, we got some other stuff in here. A lot of the shorts we have not seen uh, original score. I understand why a lot of them were nominated. Hey, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny nominated for original score. How could you not, Mike? I will. I will just say one thing. Yeah. Wouldn't you have given that to John Williams, you know, like 15 years ago when those movies were coming out? Also, I will just say one last thing. Best international feature film. Only one I saw was Society of the Snow, but I hope it wins. It was one of the best movies I saw this year. So, well, go ahead, review it. We didn't. Did we? Did we reviewed it, didn't we? No, no, we didn't. Go ahead. Let's talk about Society of the Snow. Did you watch no. it? No, I'm gonna. Just so don't oh, spoil it. dude. Okay, Society of the Snow. Um, this is uh, a movie about the uh, Uruguay uh, 1972 on Andes or Andes 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 sorry. Andes. Uh, Andes Mountains. Excuse me. Uh, it's hard. The Andes Mountains. The, um, the, the uh, <laughs> Andes. <laughs> the Andes Mountains. Uh, the, the the disaster though. The plane goes down. Uh, survivors are in the middle of nowhere, uh, trying to stay alive. Uh, man, is this a good movie? Uh, there's another movie that was made about this drama. Uh, I think it was Alive with Ethan Hawke. Didn't see it, but the uh, yeah, this is this is just an incredible film. Um, it follows the you know the the survivors who are in the snow and and how they uh, like 
make do uh, with their situation and how they try to get out. And yeah, I mean, this movie just like, it just shows you how punishing this experience was like, like even just the crash itself, it's really well shot. Uh, and then once they're, once they're like, Oh, okay, we're, we're still alive. Then just like thing after thing after thing. And you're like, boy, this can't get any worse. And then something else happens. And then you're like, okay, wow. Well, well, now that's it. Now they're just stuck here forever. Nothing else can happen. And then something else happens. I mean, it just it just punishes uh, these characters. Um, and it also shows the moral quandaries they face, where as survival gets more desperate, they're like, maybe going to have to do some really, really unpleasant things to survive. And they're like, do we do this? Is it ethical? And it explores that in a really, you know... Uh, you know, fair and meaningful way. It like lets the characters reveal their struggles and their fears. And yet, uh, you know how they have to reason with themselves and each other about like the choices they'll have to make to survive. Um, and you're seeing everything through like uh, a lens of a main character, but you, but you do get, get a feel for who everyone is by the end. And you, you kind of um, care about each character, even though you're, you're mainly following the one, one person, sort of the narrator. Um, and yeah, it's very it's done very respectfully though. Uh at, at no point do you ever feel like it's like maybe exploiting their story or taking advantage of it or even like trying to like, you know, let we, we need some drama. Let's like spike up the story a little bit. Like the story itself is dramatic enough and they do a great job of honoring these characters. Cause I mean, obviously there's gonna be a lot of death in the film. Um, and you know, by the end you're just like you're just so just torn apart with them. Uh, you know, it's just uh, it's one of the best survival movies I've ever seen. Um, and it's beautifully shot. It looks like it's all in location. It doesn't look like green screens. Um, yeah, just really, really good. Makes you really think about, like, what would I do in this situation? What are they going to do? You know, it challenges you to survive with them as you watch it. Uh, beautiful little film. I give it an A. It is definitely one of the best movies I saw this year. This nice. past year. I'll have to uh, check that out and give my thoughts on a later episode. I I started thinking about it, Mike. I think Emma Stone's going to win Best Actress. It's it's yeah. definitely between it's definitely between Emma Stone and Lily Gladstone. I think okay. it's the Stone. It's Stone versus Gladstone. But she's already <laughs> she's already won. I mean, she did already win for a lot. I know, dude. But her the more I thought about that movie when I was reviewing it, like her performance is incredible. It's it's okay. honestly incredible the way she goes from at the start of the movie to where she's at at the end. It's it's kind of mind blowing, and well, she has the. I, have, has the I haven't seen it, so I'll hold off judgment. Yeah, I I think I got to officially change my pick to Emma Stone, but somebody with Stone in their name is gonna win. I will <laughs> I will say that. So <laughs> I mean, Emma Stone's great. Like I love Emma Stone; she's an incredible actress. I just I, I mean, all these. If you're nominated, you're clearly doing something right. You know, so I mean, we're not trying to throw shade on anyone here. You got to ultimately only one person can win. So uh, that's that's the way it is. But I think we're good here. Right. We, we've covered a lot there. Uh, the, the Academy Awards will I'll probably throw I'm probably still going to make picks. I'll probably uh, do that. I'll get them out there before um, the ceremony. Mike, I don't know if you've seen enough of these movies to make picks, but if you do get to them before March 10th, I would love to have a competition, a, a little uh, film bet like we had last year. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'd love to do that. So if you can get knock some of these other ones out, uh, we will have to submit our picks and maybe we can just like post them to the Facebook page or something uh, just so they're on record. We'll see who does better. I know you're not an, an Academy Award or award show guy, but I know you like the movies. Yeah. So maybe I, I can at least 
pique your interest a little bit there. But uh, you got anything else? Are we good? Yeah, I haven't really seen any of these documentaries. Like, although we did watch a documentary, which we will review next time. Uh, but I haven't seen these ones, unfortunately. Uh, nor the short films or the score. Uh, I'm just Ken. I hope that wins for best original song. Uh, you did see Godzilla minus one, right? Which is nominated for best visual effects. Oh yeah, I did. Ooh, cinematography. I don't really know enough about it. Uh, best. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Maestro was nominated for best makeup. <laughs> it was good. It was good. What can I say? The nose is it's that's an Oscar nominated nose. <laughs> Oppenheimer's gotta win best original score, if you ask me. Uh, uh, yeah, that's good music. Sound, I would also give that to Oppenheimer personally. Uh, I could see poor things winning costume. I could see poor things winning makeup and hairstyling. I could see poor things winning cinematography. I think that'll be between poor things and Oppenheimer. Mm. Um, Godzilla minus so- one. Give me a short review on that. How, how good was it? Oh my God. That's the best Godzilla movie I've ever seen. All right. Uh, I mean, well, I guess there's the original, but this is like, this is, <laughs> this has a bit more, more of a budget than the original had. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, Godzilla minus one. Uh, I, I have to say, I've said this before on this podcast, though. I'm, I'm not a Godzilla person. I really don't care about the big monster movies. I'm uh, usually one. But, I'm usually the one reviewing those. <laughs> but this, yeah, but uh, this one I loved. I thought this was a great movie. Um, I actually didn't see the color version. I saw Godzilla minus one uh, m- minus color. I got. I don't remember what the, the name for it was, but I saw the black and white version. They did like a showing here in Austin. I went to go see that, um, and I really liked it in black and white. Um, it, in some ways, it did feel like, hey, it just it just looks like someone switched, like you know, the Instagram filter to black and white. So you could tell this movie was not shot to be in black and white, uh, but it, it still kind of worked uh, for for what the movie was. Um, but yeah, this this movie kind of takes the Godzilla legend back to its roots and makes it like just right after World War Two. And, uh, you know, Godzilla is definitely the symbol of nuclear terror, but also war that like, you know, the, the, the trauma that the Japanese people were feeling at the time. And, you know, they're, they're, they have to get him out in the ocean and try to sink him and stuff. And Godzilla is not a, an anti-hero who's like maybe going to be the champion of the people. Like he is just a big, big, scary lizard that has just come to like, death and destruction and that's all he is and he's almost like enjoying it and his and his like nuclear breath blast is literally just a nuclear bomb um it's uh it's it's nice to see godzilla again as like this big scary thing that you have to fight rather than like a big human kind of champion pet thing um yeah and this one also did something really really powerful which you don't see see that much in Godzilla movies, frankly. Like it makes you care about the human characters. Like you feel like this is a human movie, and then Godzilla comes in as this big, big problem that the humans have to deal with now. Like it follows the story of a kamikaze pilot and you know his issues with the war and his own like survivor's guilt, and then you know, trying to rebuild his life after the war, and you know, his village is now destroyed, and um you know, or, or Tokyo is destroyed and he's, uh, 
trying to rebuild with this other other woman and this baby that they found and like you care so much about these humans and their story and the struggles they're going through and you know it makes you think about like you know yeah i'm an american i'm glad i we won world war ii but uh yeah like that wouldn't have been easy for the japanese people to like come out of that um and uh with what they were doing you know to, to know that you're the first country that ever had a new and had nukes and to deal with that and like that would have been really hard uh you know and in some ways, this movie almost kind of felt like a sequel to Oppenheimer, um, with a lot of the themes that you you come out of Oppenheimer feeling like with the oh man atomic atomic bombs like this is not good like, but uh, to showcase these people struggle coming to rebuild their lives through all the trauma they were dealing with from what World War II meant to the Japanese people, to then have this big monster come and just sort of destroying everything and you're like oh no this is like like Godzilla's a bad thing like this should which is what Godzilla originally was. So this movie feels very back to the primal core of what Godzilla is meant to symbolize. And there's a lot of really powerful themes and writing in this about war and pride even, and like how, you know, in some ways, like you know, war is all our faults and uh, we, we have to make life affirming choices to stop it, to, to progress and to stop something like Godzilla from happening again. And uh Yeah just uh for for a movie that had a budget of like 10 or 15 million dollars the special effects too are just knockout good so yeah i I would definitely say godzilla minus one was one of the best action movies i saw this year and i will say it's the best godzilla movie i've ever seen so good job kind of a stripped down origin story back to basics godzilla film i mean obviously godzilla was kind of like a metaphor for the new the a bomb and World yeah. War II. so it's mm-hmm. good to see they're getting back to that in uh you know japan obviously amazing filmmakers come out of there so i definitely will plan on seeing that uh we will also watch the academy awards march 10th uh mike uh appreciate you for being here i think that's going to do it for today's episode we covered a lot of ground there a lot of films that we kind of touched on it's kind of how it goes when we get to the academy awards we sort of try and backfill and fill it on things that we have not reviewed or haven't been able to watch so we hit a lot of different things there but uh, i think it worked out well we've got some other things we're going to review probably on the next episode the marvels me and mike both watched beef me and Mike both watched a uh, great documentary, David Holmes, the boy who lived. I think we're going to review the next pod and we'll obviously Dune part two is out now. And that's something both of us are very excited to see as well. Also want to see yeah. that. I also want to see that. Um, um, uh, it's why can't I think of the damn name? One love. Who's the guy who created <laughs> the, the biopic who came out? Uh, what, what's his damn name? Why can't I think of his name? Mike, why can't I, I'm probably going to cut this now. Oh, Bob Marley. There we go. We got the Bob Marley biopic out there, too, that I want to see. So, uh, Wait, there's, of... a, there's a Bob Marley biopic? Yeah, it's called One Love. It just came out. So oh, uh, we will try that. and get to that as well. But I think that's going to do it. We're running long. Uh, Mike, yeah. anything else to say? Say goodbye to the listeners. Uh, the Academy Awards are stupid. Good <laughs> luck to all the nominees. The Academy <laughs> Awards are stupid, but the movies are not. That's our that's, official Yeah, opinion. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, that's our official stance. And hey, listen, it's not bad to see him get recognized. Whatever. It's stroking on the back. It is what it is. We're journalists, Mike. We like to give each other pointless awards, too. So we can't really hate too much. But uh, that's going to do it for today's episode of the Second Day Film Podcast. Appreciate everyone for listening. It was a great year in movies in 2023, and we will press forward in 2024. So for Mike Nichols, I'm Brandon Champion. 
Thanks you once again for listening. Uh, we will talk to you next time and we'll see you at the movies.